Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. My name is Rob. I'm a tour guide and the founder of Trip Hacks DC Tours. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Trip Hacks DC is a podcast, YouTube channel, and tour company. My goal is to give you the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for exploring Washington, D.C. If you want to check out the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphexdc.com slash podcast. And while you're over there, you'll find info about guided tours and more. This episode is my comprehensive guide to visiting Washington, D.C. for the 4th of July, or at least as comprehensive as I can make it. The 4th of July is an interesting time in D.C. Lots of people travel in for it while at the same time, a lot of locals use it as an opportunity to leave and travel someplace else. I was thinking back, and I've been in D.C. for the 4th of July for at least the past decade, maybe longer. Many locals may disagree with me about this, but I actually think D.C. is a great place to be for a lot of reasons. In this episode, I'm going to cover the big holiday events, some lesser-known holiday events, practical tips for visiting on the 4th, And, of course, a deep-dive discussion on the best spots to sit and watch the fireworks. But before I get to all of that, I thought I would start with three frequently asked questions from people who are often on the fence about whether they should come to D.C. for the holiday, stay home, or go someplace else. The first question is, is this a good time to visit? The second is, is it expensive to visit? And the third is, what's the weather like? For the first... Is this a good time to visit? Yes, I think it is. Even though a lot of locals leave and go travel someplace else, I always have a lot of fun here on the 4th. There are a lot of cool special events and fun summer things to do. As for the second question, is it expensive? The answer is, surprisingly, not as expensive as you might think. People often assume that because a lot of -of out-of-town tourists come in, that hotel rates are going to be really high. And I've talked about this phenomenon in other podcast episodes before, but hotel rates in D.C. are driven just as much by business and conference travel as by tourism. And there's not a lot of business or conference travel happening around the holidays. So people are often surprised to find you can sometimes get lower hotel rates around the 4th than you can the rest of June and July. And for the third question, what's the weather like? Well, it's hot and it's humid. It's pretty much peak summer here in D.C. It's personally not the kind of weather that I like, but I believe that as long as you prepare, hydrate, and dress properly, you can have fun here at any month. The 4th of July is celebrated on the actual holiday. This is different from an observed holiday like Memorial Day or Labor Day, which always falls on a Monday. This means the 4th could fall on any day of the week. If it falls on a Saturday or Sunday... Holiday events will happen on July 4th, but people who take government holidays will get off either the Friday before, if it falls on a Saturday, or the Monday after, if it falls on a Sunday. In my experience, I found that people often use the 4th of July to give themselves a long weekend. So if the holiday falls on a Thursday, lots of people will take Friday off work and be here Wednesday or Thursday through Sunday. And if it falls on a Tuesday, people might come from Saturday through Wednesday point is, I usually plan for big crowds and higher than usual tour demand based on which day of the week the 4th falls on. Now, let's talk about the big 4th of July events in D.C. 
To me, there are three big touristy events. The Independence Day Parade, a Capital Fourth concert, and of course, the fireworks. Let's start with the parade. It's been three years since we've had a parade. The parade was canceled in 2020 due to COVID and canceled again in 2021 because they said they didn't have enough time to plan and get prepared. It is coming back in 2022, and I am looking forward to it. The parade route is on Constitution Avenue from 7th to 17th Street. This is the same route that the National Cherry Blossom Parade uses. I did a live stream of this year's Cherry Blossom Parade, and I'll link to it in the show notes if you want to check it out. 7th and Constitution is the location of the National Archives, which is fitting since the archives holds the actual Declaration of Independence. The parade begins with a dramatic reading of the Declaration. Actors dress up in clothes from 1776 and read it from the steps of the archives. And once that's over, the parade begins. The parade includes marching bands, drum corps, floats, military drill teams, inflatable balloons, equestrian, national dignitaries, and celebrity participants. Though, I wouldn't necessarily expect a lot of A-list celebrities, to be honest. The parade starts at 11.45 a.m. and usually goes till about 2 p.m., which means it's happening during the hottest part of the day. So if you want to go to the parade, you've got to come prepared with sunscreen, lots of water, and whatever else you need to stay cool. Unlike the Cherry Blossom Parade, which is in the spring, the weather is a lot hotter for this one. After the parade, the next big event is a Capital Fourth Concert. This is held on the West Lawn of the U.S. Capitol. It's an eclectic mix of different types of music. They usually have a few big-name pop singers, some up-and-coming stars, some oldies, and really good symphony orchestra. In the before times, this was a live televised concert that anyone in the public could attend. In 2022, the concert is going to happen, but it's not yet known to me whether it's going to have an in-person audience or whether it's just going to be recorded strictly for TV like it was in 2021. The National Memorial Day concert, which is a similar televised concert at the same location on the same channel, PBS, unfortunately did not have in-person attendance this year. This was allegedly because the Capitol Complex is still only partially reopened. So given that, I'm not very confident that this will be a possible option if you're coming in 2022. But at least at the time I'm recording this, I haven't seen any official information either way. But let's talk about it anyway. In case we get lucky and they do have in-person attendance in 2022, or you're listening to this some year in the future, and it's back. The concert starts at 8 p.m., but you typically want to get there an hour or two beforehand for a decent view. Obviously, the earlier you arrive, the better of a spot you can get. Public seating is on the lawn, so be prepared to sit on the ground. You'll have to go through TSA-style security to get to the Capitol grounds, and there is always a huge list of prohibited items. So if there's in-person attendance, make sure to double-check so that you don't show up with something that's not allowed. If you do show up with a prohibited item, you will not be allowed in. The concert is about an hour and a half long and goes all the way up until the end of the fireworks at 9.30. So you'll be watching the fireworks from over here too, set to music, which is pretty cool. Now... One of my favorite trip hacks from the before times was to go to the full dress rehearsal on July 3rd rather than the live for TV concert on July 4th. 
Since it was the dress rehearsal, you usually didn't need to arrive quite as early, and you got to see the same show. I have no idea if they're going to have a concert at all this year, let alone a dress rehearsal, so make sure to follow TripHexDC on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as that's typically how I distribute information like this once I find out. One thing that is definitely happening in 2022 is the fireworks. As it's an outdoor event, the fireworks have happened every year during the pandemic. 2020 was kind of awkward because they had the fireworks, but politely asked people to watch them on TV rather than come down. But then they did nothing to actually prevent anyone from coming down. In 2021, they definitely told everyone, come down, have fun, and many people did. The fireworks on the National Mall usually start at 9.09 and end at 9.30. And if that sounds oddly specific... It's because 9.09 is the time on July 4th when full darkness begins, and 9.30 is when the concert ends. Since the concert is made for TV, it ends on the half hour. I personally do think we have a pretty good fireworks show. That said, I did watch the New York City fireworks on NBC during COVID, and those were admittedly better. But it's kind of an unfair comparison because New York City's are paid for by corporate sponsors and ours are not. Now, of course, the most frequent question I get in the week leading up to the fireworks always is, where's the best spot to sit and watch? And I am definitely going to cover that later in the episode, so stay tuned. One more thing to say about the fireworks is that they are always weather permitting. If you know anything about Washington, D.C., you know that every single evening during the summer runs the risk of a thunderstorm, and the fireworks have been rained out before. The rain date for the fireworks is on July 5th, and I have to say that, as a local, a great little trip hack is that if and when the fireworks ever get rained out, it's a great experience to go see them on the 5th because the crowds are usually a fraction of what they are on the holiday itself. Of course, that's only possible if you're here the evening of the 5th, for many people, that may not be the case, especially if you're coming from out of town. So those are the big three events on Independence Day. But truth be told, I don't do all of them every single year. I actually have a few less touristy things that are my own personal favorites. And the first is a Washington Nationals home game. Now, I know I am recording this in 2022. And to put it generously, the Nationals are not exactly the best team. Which is a shame, considering they were just the world champs in 2019. But that's a conversation for another time. My understanding is that MLB allows certain teams to have guaranteed home games on certain dates every year. And the Nationals always get one on Independence Day. This year, the Nationals are playing the Marlins, and the game starts at 11 a.m. This is actually rare, because most day games start at either 1 o'clock or 1.30. Sometimes there's a noon start but this is the only day of the year where you get to see a game that starts in the actual AM. The cool thing is that an 11 AM start means the game is over by 2 or 2.30, which leaves plenty of time for other activities. Or if you're going to the fireworks, to go back home or to your hotel room to rest before heading out for the evening. One very important tip I have for attending this game is to be very careful with the sun. For a typical day game, you can usually find a seat in the shade by sitting far back in a section on the third base side of the park. But for the 11 a.m. game, it's flipped, since the sun is still rising until about mid-game. I usually pick a seat in the 400 level, which is pretty high up, but it's under an overhang for shade, and high enough that sometimes you can even get a breeze. 
One other thing worth mentioning is that the Nationals often have post-game fireworks around Independence Day. It usually depends on what day of the week Independence Day falls and whether there's a home series happening or not. So in 2021, post-game fireworks were scheduled for July 3rd, even though they wound up getting rained out. This year in 2022, post-game fireworks are scheduled for July 1st because Independence Day is on a Monday and Sunday games are day games. And I guess they wanted to do fireworks on Friday rather than Saturday. Post-game fireworks are fun. It's a smaller show than the big one on the National Mall, but the cool thing is that you don't have to attend the baseball game to watch. If you're in the neighborhood around the ballpark, you can enjoy them. Another less touristy thing you could do is check out one of the two neighborhood parades. The big national parade is downtown on Constitution Avenue, but there are two smaller neighborhood parades as well. One is on Barracks Row in the Capitol Hill neighborhood, and the other is on MacArthur Boulevard in the Palisades neighborhood. Both of these are pretty informal parades. You'll find Little League teams and Girl Scout troops and regular people from the neighborhood marching in the parade. Local city council members usually attend. Last year, the mayor attended both parades. The Capitol Hill Parade usually starts at 10 o'clock and the Palisades at 11 o'clock. And these neighborhoods are on the opposite ends of town, so you kind of have to pick one or the other. They also overlap with the Nationals game, so you won't really be able to do both. Though I suppose you could potentially do the Capitol Hill Parade for an hour then pop over to Nationals Park and go in around the second or third inning, though I would pick one or the other. Most D.C. visitors have probably heard of Capitol Hill. If you've been to D.C. before, you may have even gone there to eat at a restaurant or visit the Eastern Market. My hunch is that very few D.C. visitors will have gone to the Palisades, which is a very residential neighborhood that's not really close to Metro and doesn't really have anything that would draw out-of-town visitors. So those are the parades. Another thing you could do is an American celebration at Mount Vernon. If you're a big history buff, this could be a lot of fun. This is a daytime event. It's from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and has lots of cool programming, like a George Washington reenactor, patriotic musical performances, and daytime fireworks in the mid-afternoon. And there's usually a naturalization ceremony where they invite people who are becoming U.S. citizens to have their ceremony at Mount Vernon. I've been to a naturalization ceremony before, and it's really moving to see how happy and excited people are to become Americans. I imagine doing it here on the 4th of July is pretty special for those who get to participate. Remember that Mount Vernon is a private historic site. It's not owned by or part of the federal government. So unlike many of the things in town, this is not free. To attend on Independence Day, you do need a ticket, so make sure to get that as far in advance as possible so you don't miss out because they're already sold out. One more idea I feel like I should mention is a good old-fashioned Independence Day cookout. Mmm, I can smell the charcoal and lighter fluid just thinking about it. Of course, back home, you'd probably go to a friend's house or maybe a neighborhood-wide cookout, but that's not really possible when you're traveling. But there are quite a few restaurants that do some sort of cookout, I'm personally a fan of beer gardens, which often have some kind of special event in the afternoon where you can get some food cooked on a grill, maybe some sausages or half smokes or brats, and some beer, and just hang out. I don't have any specific recommendations as I'm recording this in May, and it's still too soon to know who's doing what, but you can probably start Googling about a week or two before the 4th to see what you can find. Okay, now that I've covered the events, big and less big, I want to run through a list of tips and practical advice for visiting on the 4th. First, transportation and getting around. Between the parade and the fireworks and everything else that's going on, 
There are a ton of road closures on the 4th. There are road closures downtown. Arlington Memorial Bridge is usually closed. I don't think it's ever a good idea for tourists to drive when they visit, but on July 4th, this is true times 100. By the same token, it will be challenging to get around by car even if you're not the one driving. Cabs and Uber are available 365 days per year, but with all the road closures, I'd only use it as a last resort. The best way of getting around is by foot. This is a big reason why I recommend, if you're going to do the stuff on the National Mall, get a hotel downtown that's within walking distance. It will make your life so much easier. A lot of bus lines have to reroute due to the road closures. The National Mall's circulator bus is completely canceled. And similarly, tourist buses that normally drive routes around the National Mall usually take the holiday off. Metro is probably the second best way of getting around after walking. But July 4th is typically a pretty busy day on Metro, so expect crowded trains if you're planning to ride. July 4th is one of only two days that I never run tours. The other day is Christmas, and that's mostly just because I don't want to work on Christmas. But the 4th of July, I don't run tours because I can't run tours. No tour company can really operate on the National Mall because of the secure fireworks zone. I'll explain what that is in a little bit. If you've ever been to D.C. in the summer before, then you'll surely appreciate this. But if you haven't, I can't understate how rough the weather is probably going to be. July is the one month in D.C. where I don't think we ever have one nice day. We can usually get a few nice days in June and in August, but July is universally hot, humid, and kind of miserable weather-wise. I'm not saying this to discourage anyone from coming out and enjoying the holiday. I'm saying it because it's really important to pace yourself and to know your limits. If you come out for the parade and stay out through the end of the fireworks, that's potentially a 10 or 11 hour day in the heat and humidity. It saps your energy so fast. That's why I keep harping on the importance of picking a hotel nearby. That way you can go to the parade or go to the Nationals game, then get something to eat, and pop back to your hotel room for a rest, a shower, and to just sit in the air conditioning for an hour before heading back out for evening activities. If you're staying way out in the suburbs and commuting in, doing this commute twice is not that feasible, and it's going to be a really long day if you can't break it up. And yes, the museums are open and air-conditioned, but a lot of people try to use them to cool down in the middle of the afternoon, so they can get really crowded. I can't stress enough how amazing it is to be able to go back to your own space and bask in the AC. It really helps you feel recharged before heading out for the evening. It's also critically important to stay hydrated. Bring reusable water bottles that you can refill throughout the day. The National Park Service just installed several new water bottle fill stations around the monuments that are really convenient and so much better than the old ones that were really a pain to fill a bottle with. So take advantage of them while you're out. Of course, with all the water you'll be drinking, you also will want to know what to do for restrooms. There are restrooms on the National Mall and inside the museums, but the reality is that they are insufficient to handle crowds for big events like the 4th of July. So in addition to the permanent restrooms, there will also be many portable toilets around that you can use. I know a lot of people are not fans of portable toilets, but they are typically delivered fresh for the event and unlocked in the morning of the 4th, so in theory, they shouldn't be too gross if and when you use them. Now, let's talk about the fireworks on the National Mall. 
Typically, the fireworks are launched from the Lincoln Memorial Reflecting Pool. I say typically because in 2019, they were moved to a different location near the MLK Memorial, but I think that was more of a one-off thing. If you visit the National Mall in the week leading up to the 4th, you'll see giant fences all around the perimeter of the mall, and these are used to create three distinct areas on the 4th. The Secure Zone, the Restricted Zone, and the Fallout Zone. The Secure Zone is the biggest. It's a fenced area where you can come and watch the fireworks on the 4th. But to get into the Secure Zone, you have to go through one of a few checkpoints. When you go to the checkpoint, they'll check your bag or bags, you'll go through a metal detector, and then you'll be inside. The spots with the most direct, obstruction-free views of the fireworks are all inside the Secure Zone. What is the point of the Secure Zone? That's a good question, and one that I've asked for many years. When you go through the checkpoints, they're looking to make sure you don't have any prohibited items with you, which includes alcohol, glass bottles, weapons, and fireworks. You also aren't allowed to have things like folding chairs, portable grills, or tents. But the question is, why are only certain parts of the National Mall in the secure zone? For example, the eastern half of the National Mall near the museums isn't in the secure zone. You still aren't supposed to have any of those prohibited items, but you also don't have to pass through a checkpoint to sit on the grass over there. My hunch is that this mostly has to do with fireworks safety. I can imagine a scenario where someone near the fireworks launches a Roman candle or something else that lands near the big professional fireworks and causes a very dangerous situation. But that's all speculation. So if you know the real reason why only some parts of the National Mall are behind a checkpoint, send me a message on social media or through TripHacksDC.com as I'd love to get to the bottom of this once and for all. Now, inside the secure zone is another area called the restricted zone. It's completely fenced off and not accessible. This is where they launch the fireworks and for obvious safety reasons, don't want anyone near them. Also inside the secure zone is a third area called the fallout zone. For most of the day, this is open to the public, but then a few hours before firework time, it's closed off. It's called the fallout zone because it's adjacent to the restricted zone where they launch the fireworks and I guess it's where ash and other fireworks debris falls. So for safety reasons, they clear out this area a few hours beforehand. Now, what you'll want to do is go on the official National Park Service website, the nps.gov website, about one week before July 4th and look for this year's map. I'm recording this in May, and unfortunately, they usually don't release the current year's map until the very end of June. So I don't know exactly what it's going to look like this year, but I can make a pretty good guess based on previous year's maps. I already talked a little bit about getting around on the 4th, but I also want to talk specifically about getting around immediately after the fireworks. Most people behave exactly as you would expect them to. As soon as the last firework explodes, they get up and start heading home or back to their hotel. As you can imagine, this creates a huge crush on Metro as everyone tries to leave at the same time. This is why I strongly recommend staying downtown if you're coming in for the 4th. That said, there are several other areas that I recommend that are also good, including the area around the convention center, the wharf, Foggy Bottom, and over by Union Station. If you want more details about these areas, you can listen to episode 37 of this podcast where I discuss them in depth.
If you are going to use Metro, it's useful to know that after 9 p.m., the Smithsonian station becomes entry only. But that's not the only station that you can use. Foggy Bottom, Federal Triangle, Metro Center, Archives, and LaFont Plaza, plus a handful of others, are all within walking distance of various spots where you can watch the fireworks. Another tip is that if you must use Metro, chill out for a little while after the fireworks ends. Let the crowds thin a little bit, and then start heading towards Metro. And while we're on the topic of post-fireworks, I feel like I should warn you. Once the official fireworks ends, the unofficial shows begin. Buying amateur fireworks and shooting them off is a DC tradition that goes back to who knows when. It's not one that I participate in, but I know a lot of people do. And depending where you're staying, you're either going to hear and see a lot of amateur fireworks or a metric ton of amateur fireworks. If you're a light sleeper, get good earplugs and download a white noise app because amateur fireworks can go late into the night. Okay, so now that we've covered all of that, let's get to what is by far the most frequent question that I get in the week leading up to the 4th. Where is the best place to watch the official fireworks? The answer, as unsatisfying as it is, is it depends. There are lots of great places to watch the fireworks, but I think the place that's best for you is the spot that's close to where you're staying and that you can easily get back to after 9.30. So, for example, lots of people like to watch the fireworks from the Virginia side of the Potomac River. I've done it before, many years ago when I lived in Virginia. I absolutely would not travel from D.C. to Virginia just to watch the fireworks. And similarly, if I still lived over there, I probably would not travel into D.C. just for the fireworks. But regardless, there are good spots to watch on both sides of the river. And these are my top seven and who I think they are best for. Spot number one is the Lincoln Memorial. This is the most popular spot and objectively, it's the best view of the fireworks. Since the fireworks are launched from the reflecting pool, you get a close, unobstructed view of the show. The Lincoln Memorial is inside the secure zone, which means you will need to go through a checkpoint to get here. The Lincoln Memorial is on roughly 23rd Street. So if you're staying on the western side of downtown or near Foggy Bottom or Georgetown, then this is probably the best location for you. If you do need to get on Metro after the fireworks, you'll want to use the Foggy Bottom Station, which is up 23rd Street. Now, I've heard more bad advice about watching the fireworks from the Lincoln Memorial than just about anywhere else, so let's set a few things straight. Some people say, oh, if you want to watch from over here, you have to arrive a day in advance and camp out overnight, which, first of all, is not even possible because they established the secure zone around midnight, which means they kick everyone out of the park and they don't reopen the checkpoints until early afternoon on the 4th. So the earliest you could arrive here is less than 12 hours in advance. And second of all, people who give advice like this have often never watched the fireworks from over here. They just heard this from someone, who heard it from someone, who heard it from someone, who heard it from someone, and eventually it just spreads uncontested. Sure, if you want to sit on the top step of the Lincoln Memorial in the very center, then you probably have to arrive right when they open the checkpoint and hang out there all day. But that's not really necessary. There are lots of good viewing spots from this area that don't require such extreme measures. I had a tour customer last year who said their family arrived about two hours in advance, found a spot on the grass near the bottom of the stairs, and was very happy with the view. So if I was going to watch over here, I would arrive a few hours early. 
but I wouldn't get spooked by people who tell you not to go at all because you can't find a view. Spot number two on my list is the Washington Monument. This is the second most popular spot because if you sit on the west side of the monument, you also get an unobstructed view of the fireworks. And contrasting to the Lincoln Memorial, there's a lot more grass over here and less hard surface, so it's probably the more comfortable area of the two. The Washington Monument grounds are in the secure zone. So again, you'll need to go through a checkpoint to get over here. This is located between 15th and 17th streets. So this is probably the best if you're staying at a hotel in the middle of downtown, like the Homewood Suites on 14th Street or the Willard. After the show, you can stand up and walk right back. If you're going to do Metro, I'd probably use McPherson Square or Metro Center to get here, not Smithsonian Station. If I was going to watch the fireworks from this area, I'd probably get there a few hours early, bring a few snacks, and hang out for a bit. I think an early evening arrival should be fine. The next spot on my list, spot number three, is the Jefferson Memorial. This is the last spot inside the secure zone, and the least popular of the three. You do get an unobstructed view of the fireworks with reflections in the tidal basin. The biggest disadvantage to the Jefferson Memorial is that there's a lot of hard surfaces and not a lot of grass, so it might not be the most comfortable. That said, you can probably show up pretty close to 9 o'clock and still get a pretty good spot. If you've ever been on a Trip Hex DC Monuments Tour, you know the Jefferson Memorial is farther away than some of the other monuments. So I probably wouldn't come to this area if you're staying north of the National Mall. However, if you're staying at the Wharf, this might be a good spot as it's only a short walk down Main Avenue. Spot number four is not in the secure zone. It's the National Mall near the museums. So this is roughly from 3rd Street to 15th Street. Technically, if you sit over here, you'll have an obstructed view of the fireworks since the Washington Monument is right in the way, but it's honestly not that bad. The Washington Monument is thin, so you can usually see all the fireworks in their glory. When I go to the fireworks on the National Mall, this is typically the area that I pick, for a few reasons. The first is that I can walk there from where I live. My number one tip is to pick an area where you can walk to and from, and I live by this rule myself. The second reason is because it's an obstructed view, so it's a little less popular than the closer views. And I can usually show up right around 8.30 and still get a pretty good spot on the grass. It's also a very grassy area, so it's more comfortable to sit on than the areas with mostly hard surfaces. And lastly, because it's outside of the secure zone, it's generally just easier to deal with since you don't have to go through a checkpoint. I would say this is a good spot if you're staying on the eastern end of downtown, near the convention center, or if you're staying near Union Station or Navy Yard. For Metro, I would recommend either Federal Center Southwest on the orange, blue, and silver lines, or Union Station if you need the red line. So those are the best fireworks spots on the DC side, but what about the Virginia side? Spot number five is the Netherlands Carillon. The Netherlands Carillon is a 50-something foot tall bell that was a gift from the people of the Netherlands to the people of the United States for support against Germany during World War II. It's located a stone's throw from the Iwo Jima Memorial. So if you're at the Iwo Jima, you just walk a couple minutes down a path and you're here. The reason why this is such a good and popular fireworks viewing location is because it's near the top of a big hill. So from this spot, you have a bird's eye view of the Lincoln Memorial, Washington Monument, and Capitol Dome. 
and because of how it's angled, you can see all three of them at the same time. This is the spot where a lot of professional photographers post up with their tripods. And if you come over here, you'll probably see a huge row of photographers with fancy cameras and tripods all lined up near the Carillon. I think this is a good spot if you're staying over in Virginia, specifically northern Arlington near the Roslyn Metro Station. I have watched the fireworks from over on this spot way back when I lived in Virginia, and I really like it. But I don't think it's worth trekking over here from the city. So I actually haven't been over here since I've been back in D.C. If you do want to do it, though, the closest metro station is Roslyn. It's about a 15-minute walk from there. Another spot I like on the Virginia side, spot number six, is along the George Washington Parkway. Technically, this isn't a single spot. It's really anywhere along the Potomac River from roughly Arlington Memorial Bridge to about the 14th Street Bridge. Unlike the Netherlands Carillon, this is basically at sea level, so you'll have a lower vantage point, which is not necessarily bad, but it's different than if you'd see the fireworks from up on the top of the hill. This spot is also tougher to get to because it's not really near any metro stations and you can't easily walk across Memorial Bridge because of the secure zone at the Lincoln Memorial. I am including this one on the list anyway because I do think it's a good fireworks vantage point, but for out-of-town visitors, getting over here might be tricky. If I were going to watch the fireworks from over here, I'd get here on my bike. And the last spot on my list is not on land. It's a fireworks river cruise. Now, I have to acknowledge that this is going to be the splurge option. All the previous viewing spots are completely free. Just show up and watch the fireworks. A fireworks cruise, on the other hand, is certainly not free. And depending on which boat you pick, could be hundreds of dollars per person. Some boats may include food or open bar. So a high price tag might still be worth it, depending on exactly what you're trying to get out of the experience. I don't think I would bring kids on one of those, especially not one with an open bar. This option is probably best for adults for whom money is no object or who just really want a memorable experience. If you do pick a river cruise, you are pretty much guaranteed a clear view and you don't have to worry about getting there early or finding a patch of grass to sit on. So there are definitely benefits despite the price tag. All right. Now that I've covered my seven recommended viewing spots, I feel like I need to preemptively address the, well, what about this other area you didn't mention? Or what about this other area you didn't mention? I am not saying that these are the only good spots to watch the fireworks. What I am saying is that for a Washington DC visitor from out of town, especially someone who has never been here on the 4th before, these are the areas that I would look into before any others. There's this piece of advice I hear every year, and it's that, if you can see the Washington Monument, then you can see the fireworks. And that's kind of true to an extent. When I was much younger, I tried to watch the fireworks one year from Malcolm X Park, or Meridian Hill Park, because from that park, you can see the Washington Monument, and therefore, in theory, should be able to see the fireworks. And you could kind of see them, but there were so many obstructions in the way, and it was so far away that it was just not a good experience. It's a similar deal with some of the other locals' favorite spots, like Cardozo High School, which is located near U Street, near the top of a hill, and the National Cathedral, which is one of the highest points of elevation in D.C. Yes, you can see fireworks from these locations because of the elevation, but the experience isn't nearly as good as seeing them from up close, in my opinion. A few weeks ago, someone commented on one of the Trip Hacks DC YouTube videos, and the comment went something along the lines of, Local here, I always advise people not to go down to the National Mall on the 4th because the crowds are crazy. 
which I have to say is terrible advice. And it frustrates me to no end when locals tell visitors not to go to the National Mall. Is the mall crowded on the 4th? Yeah, of course it is. And truth be told, I don't go there every single year to watch the fireworks. Some years I'm just so exhausted that I'd rather just watch from a less ideal spot farther away. But if you're traveling to DC specifically for the 4th of July, not going to the mall would be ridiculous and foolish. Another bad piece of advice locals often give is, the best spot to see the fireworks is on a friend's roof. Well, this is bad advice for a few reasons. First, is that most out-of-town visitors probably don't just have a friend who lives in DC and has roof access. So this isn't even really an option. It's also bad advice because even if you do live in DC and have a friend who lives in a tall building with a roof, there's no guarantee they can get you up there anyway. I previously lived in one of those big apartment buildings with a big roof deck. It had a pool and grills and all that stuff. There were probably about 500 people who lived in the building, and the roof capacity was 100 and something. Well, you don't have to be a math whiz to realize that those numbers don't add up. So every year on the 4th, there was a strict no-guest policy for the roof. And this was a building that didn't even have that good of a view of the fireworks. If you do want to do a rooftop view, you also have to be very careful when it comes to hotels. A lot of downtown hotels now have rooftop bars and hangout spots, and any other day of the year, you could get in the elevator and go up there. But again, the problem is the capacity of these is almost always less than the occupancy of the hotel itself. So going up to the roof on the 4th may require a special ticket or a special reservation. If you're thinking of going to a hotel roof on the 4th, make sure to triple check what you have to do to get up there. Just being a guest of the hotel may not be enough. So that's about it. Everything I think you need to know if you visit DC for the 4th of July. If you are thinking about it and on the fence, I hope maybe this helped encourage you to come. And if not, that's okay. There's never really a bad time for a trip. And if you decide you'd rather do it when things are a little more chill, I respect that. Since I don't have a guest, I'll go ahead and plug Trip Hacks DC. If you liked this episode, there are over 35 other podcast episodes that you can listen to. And at the time of recording, there are over 220 Trip Hacks DC videos and live walks on YouTube. And of course, when you actually come to DC, I believe very strongly that the best way to see the sights is on a guided tour. And if you want that to be with me, you can sign up for one of my private tours over on TripHacksDC.com. Happy 4th! Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.